When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Forever. Dog. Comic books, comic time. Writers and artists are on the line. They make a splash as a comic's read and take us on a trip behind the spread. Watch out for comic book commentary. Spinning a winning inside fix how they got a hot idea. Narrative character, visual tricks, and onomatopoeia. Uh huh. It's comic book commentary. Hi everyone, I'm Teeny Howard, the author of Euthanauts, and today we're going to be doing comic book commentary for issue number one. Uh, the reason we're doing this now is because the trade paperback, which is the collected book of the first five issues of the series, um, is out today in comic book stores and bookstores. Um, so I wanted to have a chance to revisit issue one with people that read the book when it first came out and might be going back to reread it if they liked it enough to pick up the trade. And also people who might be coming to the book for the first time today, um, or maybe fans of my other work who are checking this out and this might be their first exposure to Euthanauts, I you know, recommend having a copy of the book in front of you in some capacity, or at least maybe having read it if, you know, you you feel like you can envision it in your head or, or what have you. Um, but yeah, we're going to go through the first issue kind of page by page, uh, panel by panel and talk a little about it. Um, so I'm going to talk to you guys as though I'm as though you're holding the trade paperback because that's what I'm holding um, in my hands right now. And that's the way a lot of you will be reading the book. But if you're reading a floppy or a digital copy, you can still follow along. You just might uh, you might miss a few a few things. Um, so we'll we'll start right at the cover. Um, first things first, uh, our beautiful logo by the incredible Philip Bond, who's a wonderful artist, who um, I, I know from one of my favorite books, Kill Your Boyfriend, which was a book he did with Grant Morrison. Uh, he's the designer for Black Crown. Um, he does all of the incredible logos you see on their books. Uh, Black Crown being the imprint that Euthanauts is published under as a part of IDW. Um, but yeah, all of the beautiful book, all the things you see on their books from the, the Black Crown logo to this Euthanauts logo to the really cool, like the Joy Division motif, the, the, just the beautiful design of these trades. They look great. These are books that you, you want to hold in your hand um, and that look cool. You know, they feel cool to hold and to read. Um, and a lot of that is due to Philip Bond's work, and he doesn't get enough uh, credit on this. 
on not on this but on uh in designers in general don't get enough credit i think so i wanted to give them some credit um we're also going to talk a lot about my uh co-collaborator my my co-creator and the artist on the book without whom it would not be real nick robles who is an incredible phenomenal just dynamo of an artist who is kind of really on a lot of people's radar right now and exciting a lot of people rightly so with just really incredible work he's doing i'm really excited to to go through his work and talk about it with you guys uh about you know just what it was like seeing some of this come to life for the first time um because nick is just a, a dream to work with in every possible way um he also colored this first issue that we're going to talk about but i i would be remiss if i didn't mention that our amazing colorist on issues two through five uh eva de cruz um who came on and helped uh and, and helped us out by coloring the rest of the series um and she's great i'd worked with her before on a story i did for black crown called tales from the or called uh ghost walk with me that uh was about these two girls and and she colored it in this really cool purple color scheme and it was it was fantastic um i really liked working with her so i was really happy for her to to do the rest of the series but the the issue that we'll be looking at today nick uh drew inked colored it he did the whole thing it was it was his baby and it was really special because it it really set the tone It, it set our characters color schemes um our characters have just the i love the palette of this book so much and Nick coloring that first issue and taking on that extra work was really fundamental uh, in doing that for us. And then Eva coming on to to fill that and also add in her own uh, amazing color sense. It was just really cool. Um, and then uh, I, I have to also mention Aditya Bidikar, who is my favorite letterer. And I worked with him on all of my creator-owned projects so far. Uh, he he's just he's phenomenal um i i'm so glad that he is that people are are taking notice of of what an incredible letter he is he um he's definitely a letterer who brings you know he he's 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 a storyteller you know he's not just um putting about you know balloons on the page he's he's a storyteller uh in his own right and he's fantastic and uh, he lettered this issue for us, which I'm, I'm very glad about. Uh, so this beautiful cover drawn by Nick Robles, it was one of the first images, I think, that it, this image got put together really, really early on in the euthanauts process. But I remember it took us a while to land on it. Um, I think this was like something like Nick's like seventh sketch that he had sent us. And, and we were like, that's it. Um, everything about it. I have this cover on my banner and it stops people in their tracks. Um, you know, it's, it is metaphorical without being cliche. It's, it's incredibly visually arresting. The colors are beautiful. Um, there's so many questions and that, that the reason that we were able to make an image like that for our issue one cover was because we spent so much time together, you know, working on, the story and the characters and designing them and and loving them. And, um, you know, when Nick drew this in in the, the moths and even, um, like the single moth on the outside, like with that, that was, this whole process was super 
it was all collaborative. It was just all falling in love with Talia and getting to know her. And this, this image was really, when it came together, it came together very strongly for all of us. Um, when I say all of us, uh, I not only mean me and Nick, I mean our incredible editor, Shelley Bond, who is the uh, editrix supreme of Black Crown and a dear friend and mentor to me and someone who has taught me uh, more about comics than I thought possible and someone whose uh, influence on my work is like, it, it's an everyday thing. I mean, every every day when I'm working, no matter what I'm working for, or, or who I'm working for or what I'm working on. Um, I hear, I, I mean, I, it, it, working with Shelly just fundamentally changed who I am as a writer, how I work in a way that feels entirely me. It feels like entirely me. Um, she's really, really good at making the work that comes out of me, uh, making me turn it into the best work it can be. Um, she doesn't let me get lazy. She's like a Russian gymnastics coach. She uh, pushes me and pushes me because she hears me talk about something and here's how I explain it and here's how passionate I am about it. And she hears that passion and she just wants me to translate it into what is actually coming out on the page, which is like the hardest part of being a writer, I think. No one has ever told you that. The hardest part of being a writer, in my opinion, is making people feel feel when they read your words the way you feel when you think about what it is you're trying to write. Uh, getting that right feels like playing, it kind of feels like playing a game of telephone, uh, like between your ideas, like the part of my brain that daydreams and the part of my brain that makes words have to communicate. And the part of my brain that makes words has to communicate with the part of my, the, the word on the page, the thing on the page that I've typed. Uh, and then that has to be read by someone else who has to take it in and then also have feelings about it. So it's like a several step process to, to write a thing down and effectively. Shelly's really good. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, blew up the mic there. Uh, Shelly's really good at um, helping me do that. So let's open the book, right? Uh, eight minutes in. Um if you're reading the trade, uh, inside the front cover, there's some really lovely words that some really lovely people have said about the book and this, um, this lovely two page credit spread and Scott Snyder's incredible essay that he did for us after, uh, tweeting some very nice things about the book. Um, we, uh, reached out to him and asked him if he wouldn't mind writing an introduction for us. And I was, so so pleased that he said yes because I'm a huge fan of the essays that he used to write in his book the uh, his book witches I think he's an incredible horror writer and uh he wrote something you know in that vein about fear and, and dying uh as our intro for our book and that was really really special to me and there's some incredible uh Nick art there of of Mercy who you'll get to know or you might already know if you've read the series but if you haven't you'll get to know her um, I love her design so much. Uh, a lot of it, I, I, there were, you know, certain aspects that I knew when I, you know, told, told her, told Nick about her. I had kind of a, a vision of, you know, various things, of, um, oxygen masks and, and lilies and, and Nick had the kind of brilliant stroke of genius to make her cloak, uh, in kind of a circle 
like a circular garment in the shape of a lily. And it has the brilliant effect of when she's standing, it looks like a hospital gown. And when she's floating through space, as she often is, it looks like a lily. Uh, because Nick Robles is a genius. This is mostly just going to be me talking about him. Um, and if you open to the next page, uh, that Talia image again with a quote, it was really fun to go through and select quotes. Um, I think Shelley mostly did that for each chapter break in the trade, but this one we're, we're tied together across the living and the dead. You and me, um, kind of became like a mantra for the series. So that was neat. Uh, page one, I remember, um, we start here and I, I always knew I wanted us to open on, on Indigo and his mother. Um, I, I, it was really important to me that one of the first images in the series that we see, uh, in this series about death, that it was something loving, but also jarring and confronting to the reader. So we see a lot in comics of bodies, especially women's bodies, uh, mutilated, maimed, dead, corpsey, um, whatever. And often those are done to either be terrifying or at times like lurid. Um, and I, I kind of had this thing of wanting to, to, wanting to display a woman's body with a dead woman's body with love, a body that had, uh, lived a life and, um, you know, been on this planet and lived and loved and then and then died um it was important to me to show someone just like loving a dead body for who it had been it i don't know it felt subversive to me in a weird way like i, I try not to be super pollyanna but sometimes i feel like there's something very subversive about just love um just being open and loving to things that are scary or things that are easy to exploit um to choosing to love them instead i think is kind of subversive and neat so uh, I sound really pretentious. I'm not trying to, <laughs> but this is <laughs> this is uh, that was my that was my thought, you know, um, and uh, that that I wanted to just show. I wanted to introduce this character Indigo as someone who um, was loving, you know, his mother in in death. Um, and to that, I'll also say before we get farther into it, this book would not exist without. The people in um, that are doing great work in, in what's kind of called the death positive community, which is like a community of really great thinkers, writers, YouTubers, funeral home directors, activists, uh, people of all stripes who are working to help change and normalize our conversations about death and dying. Um, I'm someone who has long grown up with like a kind of lurid fascination slash abject horror of the concept of death. I've never really thought about, I've never really thought that I'm going to go anywhere when I die. I've always kind of known that there's just like blackness there. Uh, and that shaped me a lot. And this book was kind of me about how I stopped worrying and learned to love it. Um, and learn to understand uh, the power of death is that it should cause us to think every day about what we do with our lives and to love and honor it and face it bravely and to honor those who 
have died and those that in those that loved them, those who are grieving a death, um, those who are present for a death, the dying themselves, you know, who are still human and not to be forgotten just because they're on their way out. Uh, anyway, amazing, amazing people. One of them I would really love to, to shout out because she's on YouTube. Uh, she has a channel called Ask a Mortician. Her name is Caitlin Doughty. She's also a brilliant writer. I read her books multiple times and um, watched hours of her YouTube channel. And now I'm a regular watcher of her YouTube channel. <laughs> uh, talks very frankly and very wisely about death and dying and is also a, a professional in the funeral industry herself. So I found her work and her research to be very informative as parts of this book take place. Um, at a funeral home and our main character Talia uh, works in the funeral industry. So back to Indigo and his mother who has died. Um, and uh, we, we flip open to that page T3 spread that was one of those early moments when I got art from Nick and I knew that, you know, oh, I was, I was in love. I was in deep with this book that <laughs> this is, this is um, this book and I are, are really, uh, we're really we're, we're I'm a goner you know um was this page and that that line we do not mourn like most uh that's a Nick Robles line um that's there are so many moments where he um you know did some of the some of the work that I often do usually do which is great because writers, we kind of naturally assume that we can occasionally do the artist's work, uh, and we don't ever think that it goes the other way. Like, uh, we'll all occasionally be like, hey, let me just draw you a dumb sketch of what this, what I imagine this layout looking like. Or uh, here's, I, you know, designed this outfit of these three dresses I saw in a magazine, draw them together like this. You know, it's like you're doing kind of the visual lifting sometimes. Hopefully not all the time, but sometimes as a writer, you know, it's important to say, hey, it needs to look like this or it needs to look like that because I've envisioned it that way. Um, what's cool is that Nick is an artist who's not afraid to do the same back to say, hey, uh, you know, we're working on this together. I think like issue three, he completely moved, was like moved scenes around, was just like I drew the issue. I, I printed out my layouts and I realized that it looked it read better if we moved some scenes. And so we did. Um, and there were moments where he would just say, hey, you know, I had this line, I had this moment, I wanted to call this, this thing, that thing. What about this phrase? What about this, this line of dialogue? Um, and I think I, I mean, I think I always say yes. It's not really, it doesn't feel like my permission to give. It's, it's our book if it's speaking to him too, you know? So when he's like, hey, Indigo, I think Indigo should say this. Like what I'm actually hearing is like, Indigo said this to me, we should put it in the book. So we do. Um, in this beautiful scene of, of Indigo lighting his mother's funeral pyre. Um, and I, I will have you know, I've done some research and I, I don't know what state they're in that this sort of funeral pyre is legal. Um, though you do have uh, more rights than you think to the bodies of loved ones after they pass. And I encourage you to look into those laws and regulations where you are because you... Um, you may indeed have the right to uh, wash and dress and care for your loved ones after they've died, if you so choose, as Indigo does. Um, however, lighting a giant Viking pyre uh, gets into zoning laws, I think, in some places. 
Um, another thing I love about this spread is um, how beautifully, uh, I don't know about you guys, I've, I'm a bit of a, a hippy-dippy flake. I've been to a couple big witch parties in my time. And I'll tell you that this is, um, this is what they look like. Um, you know, the, the people here are uh, not homogenous. They're not, um, they're not one shape. They're not one color. They're not one convention of beauty. You can see that these are people who are feeling, they all feel beautiful in their own way. They're all there to, to, to party and feel good and have a good time and to celebrate this life and, and, and for them that'll mean something different. And you can tell that it is meaning for all of them uh, because as we said on the last page, Nick Robles is a genius. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're going to say that every page, I think. Um... So uh, on the next spread here, uh, we kind of get into, we finally check in with Talia, the, the mysterious girl from the cover. Um, and we, we check in with her right away. Uh, it, <laughs> it was almost impossible for me to not, I, I, I sometimes resist. Some characters don't have internal monologue to me and some do. Um, and Talia really did. Um, and it's almost necessary because she has that, habit that a lot of very anxious people do which is like a lot of things sound good in her head and then like she doesn't say a lot of them out loud so like I I felt almost like in a way this was like for her internal monologue it was almost like having like access to her private twitter (laughs) like if you followed her private twitter this is what you would hear is all of her like freaking out about what's going on and also secretly thinking about how she doesn't like her friends very much um the, uh, her nasty friends were like just kind of my attempt at writing people that were like clever but unlikable. Um, but who's then talking about how he's very likable? Um, I, I think like I thought about these people more at one time than I do now, and then I think that's correct. Also, like these are the people that like are just her friends because they're around, but when she gets purpose and learns to, I think that a sense of purpose, you know, causes you to kind of prioritize your own life and your own time. So like if you have people that you're hanging out with because you just kind of feel obligated to hang out with them, but then something in your life happens where you remember like, oh, I, this is what it feels like to feel good or to feel devoted to something. You kind of reevaluate those relationships of obligation and you're like, nah, I don't, you know, if I could spend an hour at the lab studying this, death stuff that gives me purpose why would I spend an hour having drinks with you while you talk about yourself so these characters kind of faded out of her life and into the background and I like realized that that was correct um and that there there wasn't like a big divorce you know she never I don't think she's ever um she probably still texts them on their birthdays or whatever but she stopped singing out with them I think um so this encounter um here on the next page where Talia is eating with some friends and sees a woman who's very clearly dying across a restaurant 
uh, th- that happened to me. Um, not that that's that shocking. Uh, the dying go out to eat as well. Um, but it's always, there's something a little jarring about uh, just seeing someone who you know is on their way out. And, and it should be, like it shouldn't be. You know, death is a part of life. But this, that experience years ago kind of stuck with me. And when something sticks with me like that, I, I usually know, I don't know. I don't know if you believe that anything's ever trying to tell any of us anything, but uh, I felt like there was something to that sticking with me. And I, and I think that it, in a lot of ways was the seed of my whole, uh, my own personal like death positivity journey was seeing that woman and being like, uh, yeah, that I'm freaked out by her, but I shouldn't be like, she's dying. Like, if she'd been recently born, I wouldn't be freaked out. I'd be like, oh, it's a baby. But she's recently dying or she's going to die soon. And I'm like freaking out about it. And I'm like, but I shouldn't like that's she's just out having dinner with her family. Right. Um, like so brave of me to like let her do that. Uh, but but really, like it it sparked for me a conversation with myself. Like I I definitely didn't go and like talk to this woman uh, in a bathroom. I just saw her and went back about my day. But seeing her shook something in me that became a conversation with myself about death and life. And from that conversation came a really deep passion that became uh, a very big part of my life and, and the core of this book in a lot of ways. Um, so we meet her though. We meet, uh, eventually we meet, we'll meet her um, I want to spend another minute on this page just because it has one of my favorite panels in the whole series with Talia with her glasses um, and her little snake bite piercings, wondering uh, what do you even order to eat knowing you might not long- live long enough to digest it. Um, I remember writing that line and it freaked me out in a good way. Like I started thinking about like my dinner that night, you know, uh, and it, it got me in my feelings. And Nick just drew this panel with mercy reflected in such a way that it, it, it felt as dreadful. It felt as dreadful to look at it as it did to write it. And I knew it was good. Um, oh, and then this is the page where Talia's friends make fun of her for being goth when she was a teenager. Um, and that's like another thing that I love is like they kind of make fun of her for being goth and or for formerly being goth. And she's like not really goth here. She's just kind of like in a black and white outfit. And then like as she starts like hanging out with the gother kids, like the youth nuts, uh, she kind of is her her dress gets like a little um, either she's in like her sweats and stuff. But like when she's in a dress and stuff, she wears like, you know, black and her funeral dress and stuff. So it's like she kind of goes back to being a little more goth when she doesn't hang out with jerks who <laughs> make fun of her. Um, so yeah, flipping the page, this beautiful, beautiful page of Talia walking um, into the bathroom with the balloon, thinking about the balloon going to the women's room is just really great. That like looming darkness of a restaurant hallway walking to the bathroom is such a like weird solitary thing. Um, I talk a lot in this book about Talia and how she, she loves disassociating um, cause I do too. Uh, and like, that's a big thing for people with social anxiety. You know, if you're, if you're, um, in a group and it's draining you and it's feeling really hard, uh, getting up and going to the bathroom for a minute or something. And I feel like a lot of people can identify with that, 
that moment that feels like you need a whole page just to breathe and walk to the bathroom. Um, Talia needed that there. And I, I, I really love that we were able we were able to do that. Um, and I love that panel of her staring herself in the face, prying her eyeball open. That's another like quintessential Talia panel to me. Um, yeah. So on this page, she, she thinks she, she thinks that maybe she's made it up that maybe, or maybe she's seen this dying woman and that she's the grim reaper and that she's going to die. And this woman has come to collect her. Um, and then she starts having this morbid thought, well, maybe she's going to die here and I'll see her, which is, Another thing I, I, I saw a lady, this is very upsetting. I saw a woman die at a restaurant once. Right. I don't, I, how do we move on from that? I did though. Um, and it, it really freaked me out in a big way. Uh, again, one of those things that when I thought about it, I have this thing where like, there are certain thoughts that when I have them, it just, it, it feels like I'm holding like a lighter to my skin. You know, it's just, it feels like, like it's too much, like trying to look at it is too bright or it's too hot to touch. And sometimes when I get there, I'm like, that's, that's what I got to write about. That's the thing that has to be in the book. The thing that makes me feel like that. Right. So, uh, seeing a woman die before my eyes in a, in a restaurant, I mean, and it wasn't violent. It was just unfortunate. Uh, and I, I still thinking about that freaks me out. So I wanted to put it in the book in a really sinister way like Talia is hoping that will happen because she she thinks she wants to see it even though it, it, me as the author I know she doesn't want to see it because I've seen it does that make sense uh anyway in comes Mercy I love Mercy I'm very glad you get to meet Mercy I'm very glad she sticks around in the series um she uh she's another thing I wanted to put in the comic which was like a, a di- or in comics that I didn't see a lot of which is like a, a dying person um, a very visibly sick person um, because people who are visibly sick and dying are still people, you know? Um, but she's, you know, a character. She's not, she's not there to be, you know, for people to fight over her. I mean, sure, people have to rescue her, but not because of her physical illness, for any, but more because of her <laughs> tragic ambition. Um and there's this conversation I love where Talia kind of instantly realizes how rude she's being and is trying to cover for it by being really bubbly, which is like, I think a thing that millennials do being one, uh, where we like, will gawk at something or like, you know, share a video or retweet something. And then someone's like, Hey, you're kind of in my space. And we're like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Let me tell you about myself. <laughs> um, and she kind of starts by by doing that and and she also is kind of doing this like thing where she's like oh this this dying woman is gonna like be my therapy poor dahlia she wises up um and mercy has this line that i love which is very mercy which is like are you okay no obviously but i'm fine with it like i'm not okay i'm dying but i've accepted it um and she said something shelly i remember loved pointing this out which i which is that mercy refers to having dinner with her family before she dies as having dinner plans with some people. Um, and yeah, Mercy, her, Mercy Wolf is one of those names that just like, when I say it out loud, it almost sounds like, Oh, come on, Mercy Wolf. But like, that was her name. Like it just, it came out of her, it came out of my head. And I was like, that's, um, that's her name. It had been other things and they didn't seem right. And Wolf, really did i think did nick suggest that her last name be wolf 
I don't know. And it becomes really important later on that her name is Wolf, but that wasn't intentional. So I guess it worked. Um, and her and Mercy take hands and Mercy tells her all about death and they kind of bond because Talia and Mercy both clearly have, for different reasons, obsessions with death. Um, and so Mercy offers to share her, her joint with her um, to smoke her medicine. And uh, and Talia reaches her hand in her purse, and that's when uh, that's when everything gets real crazy. Um, this this two page spread here, where Nick like breaks the book open, just kills me. The fact that if you you know you hold the book a certain way, it's it's Talia laying on the floor and Mercy on the wall, and and the, the space breaking out under them and the tiles. I mean, it's just. There's a lot of this book that I think it was just me wanting to just get out of Nick's way and, and let him work um, because I know that he just so intrinsically got what we were trying to do and that uh, I just, you know, got to let him have his, his part in it. Um, also, I think the original, the thing of her getting cracked over the head with the oxygen tank, I feel like uh, was a Shelley Bondism. I think originally I had Mercy putting the mask on Talia's face. Uh, and... She was like, that's no fun. She did hit her with it. Um, so she does. And I love that. Um, and Mercy's, you know, unfortunate statement of like, both of us have our future planned. Our future is that we're dead. Um, and then there's this kind of triptych page. I love, well, I guess it's not really a triptych. It's more than three parts of, of Talia, this page of her, um, you know, sitting at her computer recovering from a strange night and these uh, mysterious visions of her in a, in a church um, in the helmet in the graveyard. Um, and none of them really make sense to us now um, of why she's so pulled to this. Um, I, again, one of the early panels that let me know we were onto something really special is the panel of uh, Talia sitting by the grave and you can see Mercy through the bottom of it. Uh, and then we meet the two characters who uh, were literally just originally in my mind, uh, you know, my, my, my villain needs two goons. Um, and uh, they became really, really special characters. Um, they are, yeah, they're, they're my, my sidekicky characters, uh, Guillaume and Cersei. Uh, I didn't realize that Cersei and Mercy rhymed until, uh, way later but it worked um especially for uh, issue five when we wrote a song <laughs> uh i got to use uh, a lot of really good words on this page because guillaume is really fun to write he's like an academic and so i wanted to write just the goofiness in of him just he's just a he's just a vocab guy he just likes ten dollar words um and he's a kind of poetic so uh he he refers to the stretcher as a catafalque and Cersei's kind of goth. So she gets poetic with him. Uh, and we also use the word psychopomps. Um, and we, we also drop the word euthanauts inside the, inside the book, which is that, you know, a psychopomp is a spirit guide from uh, one life to the next or a, a taker of spirits from one life to the next or, you know, because we're not that we're, we're euthanauts, which, you know, is meant to imply we, we kind of go ourselves. Um, and they, so they go to the hospital to get Talia sensibly because, um, 
Mercy has said, you know, go get the girl I cracked over her head from this hospital. And uh, Talia, meanwhile, is back at home recovering and having strange visions. Um, but they get to the hospital, and not only is the girl not there, um, but there's a note there and a little symbol. But they need the girl because she's a tether. And the girl's Talia. Okay, you guys are reading the book. You get it. Um, these beautiful, beautiful purpley blue pages are great. Uh, Talia's apartment is a space that, like, we only spend a little bit of time in, but I love it a lot. Um, I think we go back to it in later issues just because uh, I really loved um, the design Nick did. The, like, the butterfly and moth thing. The fact that there's, like, the, the spire tower. Um, her little toys and Cheshire cats and Grim Reapers and her goth chair. There's just so many details um, that I love. But she goes up here and Mercy appears to her. And they have this uh, very uh, expository and cerebral conversation uh, in which Talia says, I have a concussion and you're appearing to me and you hit me and this is all very confusing. And um, <laughs> uh, Mercy's just such a mouthful. I I wish I could say that writing like that was like difficult or, or like sluggish. Um, I really like writing Mercy uh, lines like, uh, if by ghost you mean an energetic force bound by dwindling egoic connections to a person, place, or object, there's no proof this exists. Um, which is uh, a take. Um, but I like to think she uh, she dumbs it down enough. And, and Talia is also good at trying to pin her down and get her to give answers. Um, anyway, and Mercy makes clear that uh, she's she wasn't dead when she hit Talia, but she is now. She has died with a uh which she planned with a mouthful of seek and all chase the vodka um and talia gets upset because mercy explains you need to have an ego to do the work that she's been chosen for and talia like a lot of people bristles at that um because she takes ego to be a bad thing and mercy kind of explains that it's a functional thing you know consciousness is exhausting here on this another incredible spread here uh if you, if you can hold together if you can die on your own terms um you can do something else. You can use your will to build a vessel and go into the next life. Um, and uh, that's when Talia enters the death space for the first time. And the book, uh, the book takes a turn. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's so hard to talk about this stuff. I feel like I could and then I couldn't. So this spread was really, really hard. Um, I have a real big... Uh, love for like painterly big two-page spreads of characters moving through a space um i think they read really beautifully um even though they're a bit challenging i think sometimes that they provide a better flow than just like a standard panel spread um and uh i wanted i wanted them to have this motion that feels like a dance i love when you follow their figures across the page I, you know you can almost hear the the, the swelling violins as Mercy kind of spins her around and as she makes her, her suit out of the ether and then spins her off. Uh, and she calls her a regular Major Tom, which is one of about 18 Bowie references in this book. Um, and uh, yeah, sometimes Talia's um, assessments of things are me trying to explain a feeling to myself. Uh, so when I say that it felt like a dream about a spacewalk played in reverse, um, 
that's me trying to accurately explain to myself the feeling of what I think that would feel like. And then sometimes I make myself laugh with those. Um, so I put them in the book. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, you know, this is kind of this little test of her ego and her will. You know, she can't breathe. Uh, so she has to form a helmet. She has the ego and the will to form a helmet. So she forms a suit and she can breathe and she can live. So she gets to live. It's kind of like uh, throwing a baby in the water to see if it swims. Um, and they do. And she does. Um, but she tells her, you know, that, uh, you know, you've got to, you've got to have the will and you've got to be a tether. Um, and that most people, most people who die don't go into this beautiful afterlife. Most of them just fade away. They don't have, uh, the, will and the ego to form a suit to keep themselves from being just coldly picked apart by the nothingness of the void of the afterlife and the death space and on the last page we see talia fading away from mercy in the death space knowing that now mercy has her and they are tied together and she's been chosen she doesn't quite know why yet um and we see a coffin the mysterious boy from page one in front of yet another funeral pyre pulling something out of his adorable coat that Nick drew him in. And inside the coffin is Talia and she's awake. And that is Euthanauts issue one by myself and Nick Robles. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed going over it with me and listening to me talk about the book. Um, I hope I answered uh, a lot of your questions. There's a lot. There's, it's a very, I, I put a lot in this book that's very dense. Um, and it's kind of a, a trippy read. Um, and I, I am sure that after reading the rest of the book, you guys, if you're reading this one again in trade, you might have questions for me. Uh, reach out to me. Find me. I'm on Twitter at Teeny Howard. The at sign just in front of the name like it is on the book. With no space. T-I-N-I Howard. Uh, and shoot me a tweet if you listen to this and if there are any questions about the first issue that I didn't uh, answer for you uh, hit me up I'd love to I always love to talk comics with people that are reading my work um, I hope if you have the trade paperback that you enjoy reading the rest of it um, with some of my commentary in mind and, and a little bit of knowledge of how the, the sausage was made in mind um, if that was just you checking out as she won. I hope you were intrigued enough to pick up uh, the trade paperback wherever comics are sold. Um, and please uh, leave us a review if you can on Goodreads or Amazon or uh, tell your friends, um, buy it as a gift, tell your book club, tell your librarian. Uh, yeah, if, if you like the book, um, please you know, we, uh, as comic creators, um, these passion projects, uh, when they get, when they find an audience, it can be really special for us. Um, and I'm very grateful for you guys, uh, not only reading the book, but coming to talk to listen to me talk this afternoon and, um, tell you a little more about something very special to me. And I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope it freaked you out a little and maybe changed your relationship with death and dying, or at least, um, sparked your interest. And, uh, I encourage you all to, uh, 
always be conscious of your, your relationship with those things and to process them in a way that is safe and healthy and positive for you. Um, and as always, uh, thank you for being readers and um, thanks for being friends. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.